Well, it is wedding season. It's full upon us. How many of you have a wedding invitation hanging on your fridge at home or know of one coming up soon this summer? I know we've got one on our fridge that we're planning on attending later in the summer. And who doesn't like receiving a wedding invitation? Don't raise your hand to that. But most of us do like receiving a wedding invitation. And when I receive a wedding invite, I know there's probably food involved and there's going to be dessert. And not only that, I don't really have to do a whole lot to prepare. I just have to RSVP, show up, bring a gift, be dressed right, and, and then I don't have to cook dinner. And so it's kind of a win-win situation, but anyone who has ever planned a wedding in any capacity knows that there is a little bit of planning that goes into it. It's not just like sunshine and rainbows and butterflies for the person planning the wedding. There's a lot that goes into it because a wedding is a big deal. For a lot of people, it's one of the biggest things to happen in their life. And so there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. You've got to figure out what the color scheme is and, and what are the invites going to look like and what is everyone going to wear? What are we going to serve people? And, and there's just a lot of pieces that go into this one event. But perhaps one of the most stressful parts of a wedding is the guest list. The guest list of, of first figuring out who's coming and who's not. And, and waiting to hear back the RSVPs because we're often working within a budget and we want to make sure that we give the right number to the caterers so we have to have this, this exact number or close enough. And, and then as you're waiting for people to RSVP because they forgot to and they left it hanging on the fridge and didn't tell you if they're coming yet, then finally you get your number and, and then you realize that there's some drama with the guest list. Like... You invited someone, and now your parents are saying, why did you invite them? And then if you're working with a seating chart, why are you letting Uncle Joe sit next to so-and-so? You know he can't sit next to so-and-so. It's just going to be a big scene, and there's just a lot of drama that goes into the guest list and, and figuring out who's coming, who's not, who shouldn't, who shouldn't have received an invite. But as the hosts... We are willing to put up with that. Why? Because we want people there. The event itself is about the, the people that are being celebrated, but it's also an event because people are coming. See, when we have an event, no one likes to go to an event and no one shows up. Like, it's just awkward when you get there and, and you RSVP'd and no one else is there. And you're like, maybe I should have done something else because uh, apparently this isn't a, a very cool or fun event because no one else is here. It's like every host's worst nightmare. But everyone likes to have people at their event that they're planning. Whether it's 10 of your closest friends or, or 100 guests. See, the guests are an integral part of any event worth attending, right? Like we all, we all know that. Who's going? Okay, then I'll, I'll go too if they're going. See, in this story that was just read for us a moment ago about this wedding feast is no different. 
The big tension, the big drama is surrounding the guest list. Who's coming and who's not. And like any wedding, there's a lot of different people involved in this whole preparation process. See, we have obviously the host, the king and the son, and they've clearly poured in a lot of time and effort into this event, especially the king, the father. And this is no ordinary dinner. This is a feast, a royal feast. And so it probably has the best of everything, the most decadent dishes. It's, it's the most amazing feast that anyone could ever imagine. It probably put our wedding receptions to shame. When I married into the Foles family, I got a glimpse of what it means to feast. Now, don't get me wrong, my family has good food, great food, I love my family's food, but when your mother-in-law grew up on a farm cooking for 17 siblings and mom and dad, you learn how to cook a feast. And so when I go to the Foles household up in Michigan, I see a feast and there is no end or lack in that food. It is a Foles family feast. See, this story, it's not just like a dinner party. It's a full-blown Foles family feast, and then some. But at the center of this feast, this, these festivities, is the sun. The one everyone is there to celebrate and to see because he finally gets to be united with his bride. But even though this is clearly an event, an event to be envied and talked about, Jesus doesn't seem quite so concerned in this story with what's happening at the event. The story seems to revolve around the guests, the people, who's there and who isn't. And we very quickly see in this story that the event isn't quite going as planned because all brides and mothers know that things never go as planned at a wedding, right? But we see that things don't go as planned for this wedding either. And even though the king sent out invites far in advance, when he sends out the servants to gather people in, they won't come. They ignore the invitation. I mean, cue the guest list drama. This is every host's worst nightmare. Nobody wants to come to this event. Because apparently, they have more important things to do. They have other things going on that, that they didn't want to pull themselves away from. And when you think about what event this must have been like, we, we would think they're crazy to not accept this invitation. And yet, it says that one man had to tend to his fields and another to his business, even though obviously those things would have still been there after the feast. They could have gone and, and done whatever they needed to do after the fact, but but they couldn't pull themselves away from their work. In fact, it says that even when they were asked a second time, they rejected the invitation in a very offensive manner at that. And so when this wedding feast begins, this banquet begins, they aren't there. 
per their own choice, but they're not there. Now, fortunately, the king is very wise and has a backup plan. And so he sends his servants out to invite anyone they come across on the streets. Travelers, call them in. Outsiders, hey, why not? Thieves and drunks and ruffians, cool, bring them in. Cool. That, that sounds good. And the wedding hall, it says, was filled with guests. And just imagine this kind of ragtag group that must have been gathered there. Like, over here, we've got Matt, who everyone says is just out to get your money. And uh, Mary, well, you've heard the stories about Mary, haven't you? And then we've got good old Pete, who is a total sellout. And uh, he's been trying to get into the inner circle for years now, but, but everyone kind of knows, sees right through that. And, and then, of course, you've got the servants. And, and this whole group of people, it's kind of a... Um, unique group to say the least and yet when the king comes in to greet the guests he doesn't really seem to mind he he doesn't really seem to mind who's there except for one guy who didn't get the moment that this was a black tie event and so he sticks out like a sore thumb and he gets thrown out of the wedding so in all of this picture how is this like the kingdom Right, that's the, the question we're trying to answer here. Because up front in this passage, it says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and then it goes on and tells this story about a feast. See, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a number of different parables in the book of Matthew chapter 13. And they've all had to do with the kingdom, with heaven. But this parable, when I read it, it, it feels slightly different than the others. It's, it's almost a little heightened sense of urgency when I read this one. Maybe it's because by the time we get to this parable in Matthew 22, Jesus is drawing nearer to the end of his life. And so by the time we get to this parable, a lot has progressed in Jesus' life and ministry. He has walked on water. He's fed 4,000 people and then some. Peter, his disciple, has, has stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he's actually revealed himself as such to his disciples on the mountaintop. And then right before this, he's triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem. And so when you think of, of everything that's happened between Matthew 13 and Matthew 22, where we read this parable, a lot has happened. Jesus has really stepped into his identity as Christ, and his time on earth is quickly coming to a close. And then he chooses to tell this story. And so there's, there's a certain sense of, of weightiness, of urgency that comes with this parable. So what exactly is Jesus trying to get at here? What was he trying to teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Or maybe more importantly, what was Jesus trying to communicate about the guests who would join him at this wedding feast in the kingdom of heaven? Because remember, this is a story about the guests. It's about the people. 
Now, there's a few lessons that I see in this parable that are maybe a little more obvious. And if you've read through this story before, you'd say, well, clearly, I, I get that. But that's because not everything that Jesus said was meant to be confusing and complicated. And that's okay. And so the first thing that I see in this parable is that there is a heavenly gathering being prepared for us. There is a heavenly gathering being prepared for us where the son, Jesus, will be united with his bride, the church. And one day, Jesus will come to welcome in those who have accepted his invitation, and we will spend eternity with him. And not only that, though, God asks far less of us in preparation than was required of himself. See, extending this invitation to join him in heaven actually cost him something. It was incredibly costly, actually. See, in the story, the king paid for everything, right? Paid for all the, the preparations, for the food. It says he, he slaughtered his oxen. Everything was prepared. And, and the king had to pay for that, had to provide for that. When we attend a wedding... And we sit down at, at these nicely decorated tables. We go through a buffet line. We get the food. We see the decorations and the cake. We know that someone had to pay for that. Someone, and it wasn't us, paid for everything that we see. And, and the guests just get to come and enjoy it. But whoever sent out the invitation had to pay for that, right? Like, that's, that's just part of hosting, for us, God was willing to pay the ultimate price, allowing his son to be sacrificed on our behalf so that all we had to do was freely accept the invitation. And then not only that, but the second thing I see is that the invite has been extended to everyone. At the start, the message of the gospel of God's kingdom and his plan for all of humanity was made to a people called the Jews. That's, that's kind of the first group of people in this story who were initially invited. When Jesus came to earth, he initially gave that invitation to the Jews, but many of them didn't accept it. They rejected it. They, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and they, they didn't want it. Fortunately, though, for us, he then extended that invitation to everyone, even the least worthy, the utterly undeserving, the last pick for the kickball team, like me. God has extended the invitation to spend eternity with him to whoever wants to receive it. But even though this invitation is offered to everyone, the third thing I see in this story is that some people will ignore and reject the invite. See, and we don't like talking about this part. We don't like this idea that some people won't be there because they don't want to. Some people will hear the good news that Jesus has to offer and say, eh, hmm. That's not for me. 
I remember talking with a friend in high school and, and inviting her to just check out this whole church thing and check out who God was. And, and I clearly remember her response was, you know, maybe when I'm older, when I have kids, I'm just not really interested right now. I've, I've got different things to, to concern myself with. And we might think, those of us who've accepted this invitation, well, that's foolish. Who wouldn't want to accept this invite? But because God loves us, he doesn't force us to accept his invitation. It's our choice. And some people will ignore his invitation and they'll miss out on everything that he's preparing. Now, of course, there's, there's several other les lessons that we could pull from this story. But there's a couple pieces that every time I read it, I just get kind of caught up on. Like, I keep coming back to these things. There's something that sticks out to me about these particular people. And so I, I read through the story. I'm like, okay, God, what are you trying to teach us? Because you wouldn't have included this part in there if you didn't mean to teach us something from it. And so the first of those guests that, that kind of sticks out to me is the servants. You might say, well, Jessica, the servants weren't guests. They didn't, they didn't get an invite. And that's true, but weren't they there too? I mean, surely they were at the feast. They were helping with the preparations beforehand and probably serving, ushering people in the door, all the people they pulled off, off the streets. They were at the feast. When Amos and I got married, we thought it would be a great idea to stress out my poor mother by planning the wedding here in Marion because this is where we were starting our life together. And so to us, it made sense. But to my mom, this was incredibly stressful because not only was I the first child to get married in our family, but I was also planning this wedding six hours away from where she lived. And so for her ease of mind, she hired someone as like a wedding planner who could be here and help her with things while she was six hours away. And this woman was, was here on the day of the wedding. She had set, helped set things up beforehand. And really in every sense of the word, she was serving at our wedding. But we counted her in our food count. She was still there. She still had to eat. The servants were included in this event, but they often get overlooked. We don't see them as guests of the wedding. And yet, while their role may have been less than glamorous, less envious, without the servants, no one would be at the party. Without the servants, no one would even be there because the servants were the ones who were out telling people, hey, everything's ready, you should come. They were the ones delivering the good news. And I want you to notice in this story, the risk and reception of the message did not deter them from extending the invitation. The risk and the reception of the message did not deter them from extending the invitation. When the original guests ignored them and said, thanks, but no thanks, 
they went back out again. And then when their buddies went out and got beaten up and killed, they went back out again. And then when the king said, all right, go invite whoever you can find, they didn't second guess the king's instructions. They didn't say, okay, king, um, so some of these people, you may not know this. I mean, I, I know I'm just a servant, but um, I, I don't think you want them here. Are you sure you want to do this? Like, they, they didn't say that. They just went out and, and they just asked. And they extended the invitation. And it clearly seems they weren't shy in their invite either because it says the room was filled. See, nothing could deter the servants from doing what the master had asked to extend the invitation. And so... For us, if we consider ourselves servants of the king of the most high God, nothing should deter us from extending the invitation to heaven to those around us. Well, it's kind of awkward, though. Well, I'm sure the servants felt really awkward. I, 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 don't, I don't know those people, um, or maybe I know those people, I don't like those people. I'm sure the servants didn't know and like everyone that they invited to. Well, they might not listen, or, or worse, they might not like me if I, if I tell them about this. You're right. But we invite them anyways. If we call ourselves Christ followers... Servants of God, nothing should deter us from doing what God has asked us to do, to extend the invitation to his kingdom. But then there's, there's one more piece in this story that I sometimes have a hard time just kind of wrapping my head around. Even in preparation for, for this morning, I, I read through this part and, and I, I don't like it. I don't know what to do with it. It's the man without a wedding garment. See, on the surface, I, I read through this story and I, I feel a little bad for this guy. Like, seriously, he's being thrown out because he's not dressed properly I mean, what is this, like a five-star restaurant? Apparently, heaven has a dress code now, because if that's the case, then I might not get in. It seems a little bit harsh on the surface, right? And every time I read this story, it's kind of like, okay, what, what's the deal with this guy? But then I realize oftentimes the Bible uses clothes as a representation of the heart. And so when we read this man's story and condition, this man's outward appearance actually gives us insight into what's going on in his heart. See, while everyone else at the wedding feast made a point of donning their best outfit, whatever that was, I mean, some of these may have been travelers on the road, they may not have had their very best with them, but whatever their best was, they put on their best. This man 
couldn't bother himself to change. I mean, I'm, I'm here. What more could you want? Who's going to tell me to change? You're not the boss of me. And besides, really, if I'm honest, I'm just here for the free food. I like the way that preacher Charles Spurgeon put it. He writes, he came because he was invited, but he came only in appearance. The banquet was intended to honor the king's son, but this man meant nothing of the kind. He was willing to eat the good things set before him, but in his heart there was no love either for the king or his well-beloved son. See, and some of us might like the idea of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven. We like the idea of, of being invited into that, and we're actually happy to accept the invitation and enjoy the good things that God has to offer, but we have no intent of being so inconvenienced as to actually change, to change our, our habits and our Hobbies are our way of thinking, or speaking to others. We're comfortable just living the way we were before we accepted the invitation to follow God, but we actually have no desire to honor him with our lives. We want what God has to offer, his gifts, his good things, but we don't want to submit to his guidelines. Because you're not the boss of me, God. I like what God has to offer, but I don't actually want to change in order to receive it. And the sad thing is when I, I look at this story, the sad part of this whole thing is that the king still calls the garmentless man friend. He wants him there. He considers him a friend, but because he was unwilling to actually change upon receiving this invitation and upon entering into the presence of the king, he has no place at the table. See, it's not just a matter of getting in the door we should actually look different. Romans 12, 2 says that we should be transformed. In the letter to the Colossians, in chapter 3, it says that we should clothe ourselves, our hearts, with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. God desires for us to be with him, but he also wants us to actually be changed when we enter into his presence. Not because we're trying to be better than we are, because God already knows that we're utterly undeserving. But because we desire to present our very best self to the king of kings when we enter into his holy presence. See, think about this. What kind of bride on her wedding day would wake up in the morning, morning breath, messy hair, and a big oversized t-shirt, and just say, you know 
what? I know that my future husband loves me the way I am, so this is good enough, and just walks out the door and heads to the wedding. Like, the the question here is not whether or not the husband-to-be loves her, but it's because of her love for him that she says, I want to look my very best. I want to be my very best and present my very best to my husband-to-be so that when I'm standing at the end of the aisle and he's looking at me, he says, wow, that's my bride. We should desire to be our very best, holy, on that day when we will meet our beloved king. And that requires us to be changed in preparation for that day. And what a pity. Maybe I'm stepping on some toes here. But what a pity and a shame that this man thought it was okay to enter into the presence of the king without being transformed. Because at the end of the day, his heart wasn't really in accepting that invitation. How dare we presume that we can sit in the presence of the king and not be changed? I wonder, what kind of wedding guest are you? In which of these guests do you see yourself? Are you one of the guests who was invited but by your own choice isn't there? Have you heard the gospel but you've you've just decided that something is, is better? Because if so, there's still time to RSVP. The king is still preparing and wants you there. Or maybe you're one of the servants tasked with tirelessly announcing the gospel to anyone you cross paths with, and you grow weary of inviting people to church, inviting people to meet the king, to meet God. But friends, do not grow weary in doing good. Your role is crucial in the preparation of the wedding feast. Or maybe you kind of identify with this guy trying to sneak in and enjoy the good stuff, but your heart has no desire to be changed. You like sitting in church and, and singing the songs, but don't ask me to change. But God sees the heart and he desires transformation. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. The invitation has been extended to everyone, but it's on us to receive the invitation, to share the invitation, and to show up changed. What kind of wedding guest are you? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful that you have chosen to extend this invitation to us, and yet we are so unworthy. Father, would you convict our hearts of of areas that need change, of ways that we need to be active 
and spreading the invitation. And Lord, if there's any here who aren't sure if, if they would be at the table, Lord, would you just press their hearts to accept the invitation to follow you? You desire us to be at the table. Help us to prepare accordingly. It's in your name we pray.